This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. It's Friday, April 8th, 2022. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, we turn back the clocks to 1997 for a history of the song Barbie Girl and a look at its influence on music. Plus, the Neolithic origins of Short King Spring. And mark your calendars for the great North American solar eclipse. Here's some cool stuff for your ride home. Well, since it's Friday, I thought I'd have a bit of fun and share some highlights from a recent Rolling Stone oral history of one of my unironically favorite songs, Barbie Girl by Aqua. And maybe after you hear some of the history and give it a re-listen, you'll understand what I mean when I say that this goofy relic of the 90s is a genuinely good and reasonably sophisticated song. So the band behind the song, Aqua, are from Denmark, and I'm just going to kick this off with an apology for mispronouncing their names. It's a bit tough to find interviews where individual band members are mentioned by name, so doing what I can here. But anyways, Soren Rasted and Klaus Norin met when they were 18 in the late 80s and started making music together, being influenced by artists like David Bowie, U2, and Depeche Mode. They got their first big financial break doing the music for a Danish children's movie called Naughty Frida and the Fearless Spies. They needed a rapper for one of the songs they came up with and happened to meet Renee Diff, a DJ and rapper who was recording in the same studio as them. Diff had recently met Lee Nystrom when they were both performing on a ship that went between Norway and Denmark. He as a DJ, she as a silent Vanna White-style host on a game show who occasionally got to sing a little. They dated but more impactfully, they got together musically, with Nystrom's vocals rounding out the tracks from Rasted and Noreen. And Andy Green from Rolling Stone wrote of the meshing of Nystrom's beautiful high notes and Diff's growling vocals, quote, It became clear that the unique combination of Nystrom's sugary vocals and Diff's gravelly raps was a compelling sound that nobody had ever quite heard before. End quote. So the four of them became a band, originally called Joy Speed. Their first single was a sped-up dance version of Itsy Bitsy Spider, and it was alright, but Green notes that once they got a synth that could replicate instrumentals, their sound totally changed, and they started pumping out tracks like Dr. Jones and My Oh My that would later go on to have great success across Europe and Asia. But first, they had to write Barbie Girl. And it was Rasted who initially came up with the idea. He said, quote, When we were writing songs for the first album, I went to an art exhibition at a store in Copenhagen, and they'd taken a bunch of Barbie dolls and made a planet out of them. It looked like a big, round ball. And it made me think of, Life in plastic, it's fantastic. 
I thought that was a great line. And then I wrote, come on, Barbie, let's go party. End quote. And the rest was pretty much history. The band was into the lyrics. There were some back and forths as they were working on it. You know, should it be major or minor key? And Nystrom wanted to pitch the vocals down a little because she thought it was ridiculously high and she was worried she wouldn't be able to do it when they did live shows. This is what gets me, though. It is actually her singing as we hear it. It's not pitched up by computers and post at all. That squeaky singing in the song is 100% her. Super impressive. Now, Nystrom might not have won the fight over the super high vocal, but she did stick to her guns when it came to the iconic music video, which, by the way, is currently sitting at over a billion views on YouTube. I guess being the only girl in the group and the singer who essentially plays Barbie in the lyrics, it was assumed by everyone involved that she'd put on a blonde wig and play Barbie in the video. But she refused. And honestly, good for her. You know, she wanted to be the musician she is, not a Barbie doll. In the end, they hired two students that the art director knew who he said kind of looked like Ken and Barbie to be the actors of Ken and Barbie. Rastid likes to claim that the pair met on set, fell in love, and got married and had two kids. But Mads Taggle, who played Ken, says the two were actually already together when they shot the music video, but yes, they are still married with children. Anyways, after the song took off in Denmark and then started hitting other markets, debuting at number 7 on the Billboard Hot 100 in the US, it was clear they had a certified hit on their hands, achieving something other musicians from Denmark rarely ever had up to that point, breaking America. Of course, not everyone liked the song, and I don't just mean everyone who made fun of it and was annoyed to hear it all the time, like the Rolling Stone readers who voted it worst song of the 90s in 2011. Harsh. But no, Mattel, owners of the Barbie doll franchise, weren't too pleased either. The song and video are filled with sexually suggestive lyrics and imagery. Rasted says it's a song about plastic surgery. Nystrom told Rolling Stone, quote, It's tongue-in-cheek. It's pop music. If you want to see the layers to it, there's all the layers you want. But we kind of took the piss out of the Pamela Anderson Baywatch perfect picture with silicon boobs. We wanted to take the piss out of that kind of perfect girl. That was the main thing we discussed. And we didn't say it very often, but that was the main thing behind it. End quote. And even though every CD booklet included a disclaimer about the song being social commentary, Mattel was not having it, and they ended up suing the label. But I do like some of what Russell Frackman, the lawyer hired on behalf of the label, pointed out, quote, I felt that Mattel had a weak case. My view was reinforced when I learned more about Barbie's background. Barbie began her life as a German doll known as Lily, and Lily was a plaything for adult men, so her background was not pristine. It also became very clear that Barbie had been represented in books and other media, even in recordings prior to Barbie Girl, as representing a certain type of person. She became an icon standing for a certain type of person, and that led to the major defenses in the case, which were essentially First Amendment defenses. We hired literary experts, record industry experts, marketing experts, and we came up with all sorts of material that was a lot more critical of Barbie and a lot more sexual, frankly, than Barbie Girl. There was no doubt that for many, many years, even people who didn't buy Barbie dolls were aware that Barbie was viewed as a feminist or as a bimbo. That was an indisputable fact. Also, trademarked names have been used in songs for many, many years. Think of Janis Joplin's Mercedes-Benz, Paul Simon's Kodachrome, 
Bruce Springsteen's Cadillac Ranch. At one point, Mattel tried to argue that they could have called the song Party Girl, but obviously calling it Party Girl does not convey the same message as calling it Barbie Girl. End quote. The best part, though, when the lawsuit ultimately ended up in the U.S. Court of Appeals Ninth Circuit after dragging on for four years, Judge Alex Kaczynski ruled in favor of the label, but said in a very 2000s way of both parties' behavior in the press and in the courts and their frequent use of the term piracy, quote, No one hearing this accusation understands intellectual property owners to be saying that infringers are nautical cutthroats with eye patches and peg legs who board galleons to plunder cargo. In context, all these terms are non-actionable rhetorical hyperbole. The parties are advised to chill. End quote. Man, when a judge orders you to chill... And Chill Mattel did. Nine years later, they even paid the band to license the song for use in an actual Barbie commercial, which all the band members interviewed say they should have just done to begin with. But lawsuit aside, as much as you may hate the song, it really did represent a bit of a turning point in mid to late 90s pop music. It debuted in the States in 1997, right when the other pop stars like Backstreet Boys and Spice Girls were beginning to become global sensations. But as for other bands, Diff told Rolling Stone, quote, Shortly before this, everyone was dressed in black and had a guitar, and they were singing about how bad they felt and playing really depressing music. People were ready for something different. In some magical way, we came in at just the right time. The moon, the sun, everything had to stand still at that one second, and it did for us. We went from zero to hero pretty fast. End quote. Even though they weren't alone in causing or steering that turning point, they were indisputably a strong part of it. For example, when they debuted at 7 on the US charts, they were right below Third Eye Blind's Semi-Charmed Life, a song whose music video features lead singer Stephen Jenkins dressed in all black, walking through gritty real-life cities singing about an addiction to crystal meth. Compare that to the neon pink plastic set of Barbie Girl, pure fun and cheekiness from the band and actors. Or even the hyper-saturation and goofier concepts that took over the gritty 90s monotones in music videos in subsequent years, like Blink-182's What's My Age Again and Smash Mouth's All Star. Being a part of that change in tone was important to some of the band members of Aqua. Nystorm has said that as the band works on their fourth studio album right now, they released a second album in their early heyday and another in 2011, all of which had success in Europe, but not really in America. She says she really wants their songs to stay happy, poppy, and not too serious. No one wants that from Aqua, she says. And Diff felt that even with Barbie Girl, they were hitting on an important message for the time. Quote, The message is that it's okay to be the person you are and look the way you look and be confident in that. You don't necessarily have to have plastic surgeries to be a better person. All these metaphors in the song were taboo to talk about, but we came out with a tongue-in-cheek way to present our song. It's a pop song, but it's also a song about how it's okay to be who you are, love who you are, and be yourself. End quote. I'm not sure how much I ever quite got that message from Barbie Girl, but I can see it. Mostly, I just agree with Green from Rolling Stone, who wrote, quote, The song is a pop masterpiece, and we hope people are still celebrating it when its 100th anniversary comes in 2097. End quote. Ever 
At FanDuel Casino, we know the only thing better than a win is a free win. That's why we made Reward Machine, the daily free-to-play game that gives you a chance to win up to $2,000 in casino bonus. We've given away over $50 million in free bonuses, and we're just getting started. Every day at 6 p.m., you get three chances to spin the Reward Machine reels. There are three ways to win. One, match any three symbols for an instant win. Two, collect symbols each day for a chance to win weekly prizes. Or three, win up to $2,000 if you collect three trophies. FanDuel has given away over $50 million to hundreds of thousands of people through Reward Machine. So what are you waiting for? Download the FanDuel Casino app by going to FanDuel.com slash PA3 and start playing Reward Machine today. That's FanDuel.com slash PA3. No purchase necessary. 21 plus and present in PA. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable casino only site credit that expires seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash casino. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG. According to TikTok and a big ID Vice article from a couple of weeks ago, Hot Girl Summer is out and it is officially Short King Spring. Short King is a term that's been kicked around social media for a few years in an attempt to buck against a lot of the ways that shorter men are written off on dating apps and judged in person, even in job interview and career advancement situations. It's a nice idea, and for whatever biases it might help anyone unpack, it's great, but as a short man myself, the actual term short king has always bothered me. You know, it feels placating, almost. Too performative. It's almost like calling a disabled person inspiring or a queer person brave. And when part of what you're trying to subvert is the idea that short men are just as manly, attractive, and capable as taller men, veering into the placating territory seems vaguely counterproductive. You know, I get that with the king language, it's meant to evoke strength and confidence, but the way it's frequently deployed by people who are not short men often smarts of the same soft and cute associations we always get. You know, it's like we need other people to come in and reassure us with a cutesy nickname. Damian Bryant, a short photographer from Alabama interviewed by Vice, hit on this pretty well, telling the outlet, quote, I think it'll take a lot more time for society to release the grip that it has on the desire of six-foot men. There may be more discourse about being more accepting of short men, but we're also in the age of disingenuous wokeness. So, I'll believe it when I see it. End quote. And, you know, disingenuous wokeness does often lead to tides of actual change eventually by the rounds of endless hot takes it can proliferate, so there may be some hope yet. And any dude who wants to call himself a short king, more power to him. Jules Posner, a Philadelphia-based comedian interviewed by Vice, is in favor of the term. He still isn't sure how much change will actually come from it, but he says the term is ultimately positive. He also noted, as many people do when discussing short king spring specifically, that Tom Holland has been making incredible strides for short men everywhere, both by kicking butt as an endlessly talented performer and action star, but also by seeming to have no hang-ups whatsoever about dating a woman who's taller than him. As Posner put it to Vice, Tom Cruise walked so Tom Holland could run. End quote. But the reason I even brought all of this up is because of a new study out of Penn State indicating that the start of the Neolithic era in Europe might have been chock full of short kings. This study shows that the switch from hunting, gathering, and foraging to farming at the start of the era, roughly 12,000 years ago, might have actually had adverse health effects on individuals, at least in the beginning. 
80% of eventual adult height is determined by genetic makeup and 20% from the environment, according to the research team. So, quoting Penn State, Working with George Perry, Associate Professor of Anthropology and Biology, and more than 40 international researchers, Assistant Research Professor Stephanie Marsniak looked at the heights of individuals who lived before the Neolithic and in the Neolithic, Copper, Bronze, and Iron Ages. The researchers measured the long bones of skeletal remains that were also being sampled or had already been sampled for ancient DNA testing by other researchers. The researchers created a model that used adult height, indicators of stress seen in the bones, and ancient DNA. They also looked at genetic indications of ancestry. And the researchers studied 167 individuals who lived from 38,000 to 2,400 years ago. This included pre-agricultural individuals, the earliest farmers, and subsequent farmers. They found that individuals from the Neolithic, taking into account their genetically indicated potential heights were an average of 1.5 inches shorter than previous individuals and 0.87 inches shorter than subsequent individuals. They also found that heights steadily increased through the copper, 0.77 inches, the bronze, 1.06 inches, and the iron, 1.29 inches with respect to Neolithic heights. End quote. Now, the switch from hunting and gathering lifestyle to agricultural didn't happen at the same time everywhere, which accounts for that rather broad range in years. And as this shift in lifestyle was happening, Marciniak notes that there was a movement of people, typically from east to west, so they accounted for that migration that may have brought different proportions of height-associated genetic variants by looking into genetic ancestry of individuals as well. And the combination of height measurements and ancient DNA from the same individuals is a more unique approach in the field, but the team acknowledges that they do still need a larger data set going forward, which might help them determine the cause of this decrease in height when people initially shifted to farming. Nonetheless, their approach could also be used for all sorts of studies on past human health, which is pretty intriguing to think about. But for now, we can preliminarily assert that the Neolithic era was the OG Short King Spring. Mark your calendars for this day two years from now, because the next total solar eclipse is coming. On April 8th, 2024, what's being referred to as the Great North American Solar Eclipse will be viewable partially from all lower 48 U.S. states, but the total darkness will be seen across a 124-mile-wide path that starts in Mexico and goes up through Newfoundland and Labrador, Canada. In the U.S., the best states to catch the total eclipse will be Texas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Missouri, Kentucky, Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, Pennsylvania, New York, Vermont, New Hampshire, and Maine. This is the first total solar eclipse viewable in the U.S. since 2017, which was the first one in 40 years at that point, and this one will cast a wider shadow and be viewable for a longer length of time than the 2017 one. It will also be the last cross-country total solar eclipse in the U.S. until 2045. That said, quoting Space.com, total eclipses aren't altogether that rare, occurring approximately every 18 months. But because the shadow of the moon is quite small when projected onto the Earth, only a tiny fraction of the planet actually experiences any given eclipse. On average, a specific location will only experience a total solar eclipse roughly every 375 years. 
end quote. Space.com also points out that two years might seem far away if you still subscribe to the depleting social construct of time, but people will be making their plans in droves and special events and lodging near peak viewing sites are going to fill up fast. In 2017, 88% of U.S. adults made a point to see the eclipse. And FYI, the maximum duration of the total dark moon covering the sun moment will be around 1.30 p.m. local time in central Texas. So if you are a particularly big solar eclipse fan, that is going to be the place to be. It's also just a pretty great place to take a springtime vacation anyways. Wildflowers, warm but not overwhelmingly hot temperatures, great rivers for rafting in, an awesome beer and live music scene. The Hill Country region is awesome. I recommend it. But if you can't make it to Texas, then no worries. Again, the path for the total eclipse is huge this time around, and you'll still get an impressive partial eclipse view in other parts of the country. Plus, you can bet it will be live streamed by countless institutions. But if you are watching live, don't forget your solar glasses. You don't want to end up like a certain president five years ago. Well, that is it from me for this week. This show was produced by Ride Home Media. I'm Jackson Bird, and I will talk to you again on Monday. This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Duncan. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. When you drive the brand ranked number one in dependability by J.D. Power, you can stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see yourself behind the wheel of the brand ranked number one in dependability by J.D. Power. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Kia received the fewest reported problems among all brands in the J.D. Power 2022 U.S. Vehicle Dependability Study based on 2019 models. See jdpower.com slash awards for 2022 details. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.